Open up to Psalm 62. As we continue speaking on hope, and hope is a joyful expectation of good. Can you repeat after me? A joyful expectation of good. It's a nice way to go through life, amen? A nice, expecting, joyful, hopeful, good and that's what Christ gives to us. I'll ask you now, how would you like that to be the mainstay of every day you wake up? No matter what this world throws at you, no matter what the doctor says, finances says, whatever it throws at you, you have hope. And not just hope, but this exceedingly joyful expectation that God is going to pull through even at the last moment. Sometimes he makes us wait. Amen. We are talking about hope. I will continue to speak about it. Last week I spoke in a general sense out of Proverbs 13 on hope. That hope deferred makes the heart sick. But desire fulfilled is like the tree of life. When you're waiting on something, especially when you're waiting on God, sometimes it can take decades. And when it comes to pass, it's overwhelming. There's no comparison to it. This fulfillment can only be compared to the tree of life. That is it. And that's what we are speaking about today, but I want to speak about hope in times of crisis or hope within the crisis. So I ask you to take an inventory of your life. Any crises going on in this room? Maybe some personal ones, maybe family ones, domestic ones, social ones, and all sorts of goodies we go through in life. But there are also other crises that you go through as a believer that are unique only to the Christian that puts God first in their life. When you are a Christian that puts God first in your life, and basically that's what Christianity is, okay? God first. You will come into all sorts of crises of your faith and of life and so on and so forth. I want to speak about one of those today from Psalm 62, from the life of David. But let's read first these 12 verses excuse me for God alone my soul waits in silence from him comes my salvation he alone is my rock and my salvation my fortress I shall not be greatly shaken how long will all of you attack a man to batter him like a leaning wall or a tottering fence. They only plan to thrust him down from his high position. They take pleasure in falsehood. They bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. Selah. For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence. For my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory. My mighty rock, my refuge is God. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Those of low estate are but a breath. Those of high estate are a delusion. In the balances they go up. They are together, lighter than a breath. Put no trust in extortion. Set no vain hopes on robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart on them. Once God has spoken, twice I have heard this, that power belongs to God. And that you, O Lord, belong steadfast love, 
for you will render to a man according to his work. Let's pray. Father, like always, we come before you and we ask, Lord, that your Holy Spirit be here guiding us in all truth, Father God. For we truly do believe that the truth and only the truth can set us free, Father God. And Father God, I'm asking for myself and for this congregation, Lord God, that you help us to to understand hope, Father God, from your perspective. What real and genuine true hope really is. Help us in the crises of our own life, God, not to lose this hope, Father God, this expectation that something good is going to resolve out of this, Father God. Always let us know, Father God, within every conflict... There's a godly resolution to it. Help us, we ask, in Christ's precious and holy name. Amen. We're speaking on hope, and like I said last week, that's that great intangible that holds life together. Without hope, life is, uh, is kind of a painful experience. If you have ever lived one hour, never mind one day, without genuine hope, because you're fretting over some kind of crisis, you realize it's a painful situation. Emotionally, psychologically, sometimes even Physically, it can be very painful when you not, don't have any hope that something good is going to come out of the crisis. Last week, we looked at hope in a general sense as a principle. And this is a principle. When you read the book of Proverbs, it's a principle that comes from following God's wisdom in godly living. When you are following, as a Christian man, a Christian woman, you're following God's wisdom in godly living, you will find yourself in a much more hopeful situation. Hope won't be something that's so far off, you don't even remember the last time you felt good about it. Hope will always be a very ready and present help in a time of trouble when you're close to God. Hope makes us feel like life is livable again. So I think, take a moment now, reflect, where, where are you now? Maybe there was a time in your life when hope wasn't really there, and you realize just how hard life can be when you don't have hope. Because if you don't need it today, you'll need it sooner than you think. So I always hope you remember Psalm 62 and these series of sermons we're doing. But hope does make life livable and brings rest to our souls, and we're going to find that out tonight, where otherwise all we have is anxiety and fretting and even dread. Uh, sometimes these things reign in our life. I know me and my wife, though we're walking with the Lord so many years, there are certain situations in our life that can really get under our skin, that can really bring the anxious thoughts, and we really have to press in and go to God in prayer and, 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 and praying for one another to get through the situation. On a whole, most things that life has thrown at us in over many years, after 30 years of being a Christian, really don't affect us. But there are some things in life that do get the best of us because we're still human. Amen? And maybe I'll share a little bit about that. I shared a little bit about that last week, maybe a little bit about it today. But I'll deal with this text verse by verse if I get through the whole thing today and allow it to unfold before us and evaluate just how hopeful are we. It's a question I want to give to all of us. How genuinely hopeful are you in your life? Are you more pessimistic? Are you optimistic? Do you have that kind of childhood faith and you just say, well, I know God's going to pull through? Did you ever have that? Did you ever have that experience where something's coming and you just say, no, I know God's going to pull through. I, I just know God's going to pull through. He, he says it. I, I believe it. And, and that's where God wants us all the time because this is why. While you live in this world, you need hope. Because everything in this world 
is counterproductive to hope. There's nothing in this. You can't read the newspaper. You can't watch the news. You can't see anything and come out hopeful that tomorrow is going to be great. You just can't. Because the world doesn't offer that kind of hope. They'll offer delusions. They change reality. But it's not hope. Let me give you a little introduction and we'll move forward. David, like usual, writing the Psalms, is in some sort of conflict, and he's expressing his feelings, and he's expressing his faith, he's expressing strengths, and he's expressing this. In this Psalm, we don't see much doubt, but we see a lot of faith. These 12 verses go far in both encouraging hope, where to find hope, and how to hold on to hope. Hope can be elusive sometimes. It can be there one moment and gone the next. How do we hold on to that hope? What's the enemy of hope? The enemy of hope, like I said, is closer to home than you think. David's life and ministry are at stake. And don't miss this in the Psalms. When the king's life and ministry are at stake, the whole kingdom of God is at stake. David represented the kingdom. He represented the leader. He's a type of Christ. So understand something. David often takes his reflections on his life and superimposes them on the nation. Because where the shepherd go, the sheep follow. If you smite the shepherd, what happens to the sheep? The sheep will scatter. So always remember that when you're reading the Psalms. Let's go to our text. Excuse me. <clears throat> My throat's giving me a little trouble. Do we have verses one and two up there? Take a moment. Oh, there we go. All right. Start in verse one. David says this. For God alone is my for God alone my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. I'm just gonna read the first half of this again. For God alone my soul waits. The first half of this verse speaks of David's inner resolve, where his soul is an absolute, total submission to God's will. Now, I don't want you to read that. I don't want you to forget that. Let's read that again. For God alone, my soul waits. Think about that question. Do you ever trust in anything else? Is it possible to trust in other things and not even know it? Very easily. We're going to find that out as we go through the psalm. But David can say this. For God alone. I want you to close your eyes and say it. For God alone. Think about that statement. Don't leave the house in the morning without this on your voice. On your lips. For God alone my soul waits. I will trust in nothing else but God alone. There might be other ways that other men do it. But for this Christian man, it is God alone. I will take no other matters into my own hands. I won't go outside the will of God. It will be God alone. Excuse me. This time of year. We need... A God alone faith. His soul is in total submission to God's will. 
It is an open statement of great faith in God alone. What a statement. But how do we hold on to that? How do we obtain that? How do we keep that in the most troubling times of our life? God alone should be the daily philosophy of every believer. And like I said already, do not leave home without this conviction fresh within your heart. Do not stand before anyone, any adversary, ever go into a tough situation without saying this to yourself. God alone. That's what David's doing over here, in God alone. The second half is a very revealing and tells us about the two enemies of hope. I'm going to read it. My soul waits in silence. The two words we want to look at is wait and silence, all right? The first one is wait. Impatience is a true enemy of hope and really goes to undermine true hope. We want something immediately, and it doesn't work that way. Patience or impatience is an enemy of genuine hope because hope is an expectation of something that's going to happen, but I'm so impatient, I don't give God time to do anything because I want to take matters into When David says his soul waits, he means he's waiting. In God alone I wait. Understand something. Here's the situation. Again, David finds himself with many unscrupulous men within his cabinet, within the nation of Israel, that are trying to tear him down. David has a whole army at his disposal, but he doesn't trust in his army. David has... What the Bible calls his 30 mighty men. He has, he has a, about 600 personal bodyguards. And out of the 600, there are 30 mighty warriors that have done great feats of heroism. But he doesn't call upon them either. He had all the power of a king at his fingertips. But he says in God alone. I'm not going to manipulate the system. I could easily distinguish the people speaking bad about me. I can take care of them overnight and nobody would know a thing. I can do it my way. But guess what? I'm going to wait on God to take care of this. I'm not going to take matters into my own hands. Even though it's a prolonged period of waiting, it's a prolonged period of testing. I want this to be over. I want this to be done with. I'm going to wait on God. How well do you wait in crisis moments? How good is your prayer life when you're going through really challenging times? He also goes on to say this. Silence. He's not just going to wait. He's going to wait in silence. Silence complements waiting. The word denotes silence from our own mind of trying to figure out how I can make this work. I'm going to figure out the how, the when, the why, the where of the answer. I'll figure out the means to the end. Do you ever get caught up in trying to solve a problem that really is outside your, your jurisdiction, outside your control? We, want to, we, 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 want to, we really want to control everything. It doesn't work. 
God will throw in monkey wrench after monkey wrench after monkey wrench into all our affairs to try to make something work. And when it's not working, you're saying, why in the world is this not working out? Because you've got to go back to verse 1. In God alone do I wait. God will make sure it's difficult until you learn this lesson. God alone. That's the lesson. And we've got to wait patiently. Not taking matters into our own hands. To be silent. To silence my mind from the troubleshooting. Trying to figure out how can I do this? How can I get even? How can I get over? How can I fix the problem? How? 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 Does it sound familiar to anybody sitting in this room? Isn't that the first thing we do? Do you know why? What was the first thing Adam and Eve did? They sewed little fig leaves together because they had to fix the problem. They didn't wait on God. Mankind tries to fix spiritual problems only that God can fix. But we are always trying to fix it. And rarely do we go to God first and then stay with God. Or I should say, we will go to God first, but rarely do we stay with him and wait in silence. We're on the phone, we're on email, we're doing this, we're doing that. Now you got Facebook, you got Instagram, the whole world knows my situation. Everybody's weighing in, everybody's piling on, everybody's got an answer for my life, and you're all confused, and the last person you go to is God. Why should I go to God? He, he only created the universe. He only created me. He, he knows me, he loves me, he cares for me, but yet I'm going to take care of everything. Waiting on God is theoretical until you experience it. You have to experience it. You have to go through it. How many times I have spoken to people and I realize in their walk of faith they're just not mature enough to hear God's answer. And as I'm talking to them about an answer, they just keep on talking over me. And that's when I pull back and say, all right, I'll wait till life crashes and they burn out. And then they'll say, Pastor, what happened? Then I'll say, well, I'll talk to you now. Because when you got that mind going all the time, it's like, and the word, but, then I'll be saying, but Jesus, but, and, and, and but, and it's like, they, there's no room for the word of God to come into their life and bring understanding because the mind is going a mile a minute. Am I right or wrong? So you got to pull back and say, all right, they'll burn out and they'll do this and, and then they'll be there and I'll be there to love them and, and to guide them into the ways of God. Our minds become very noisy. Dread usually follows. You know, our minds could be our worst enemy. They really, you don't need Satan. Satan goes, let's attack them. And when he gets there, he goes, leave them alone. They're, they're doing a good job themselves. You know, they're, they're tormenting themselves with trying to troubleshoot a problem only Jehovah God can take care of. Faith, by implication, implies trust. In God's means to an end. God's means to an end. That's hard sometimes. But that's something we all have to learn. He goes on to say this in verse 2. Can we have verse 2 up there? Okay. He alone... God is my rock and my salvation and my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. David is speaking about God's 
attributes and his credentials. Understand something. Faith, the book of Hebrews says that hope is the certain, faith is the certainty of things hoped for. The certainty of things hoped for. So understand, faith and hope walk hand in hand. So does faith and hope and love. Those great, great intangibles always walk hand in hand. And David is speaking about the attributes of God. You see, our hope can only be as strong as our faith. Because faith is the certainty of things hoped for. So hope to be strong, for hope to be life-giving, you have to have strong faith. But you can't have strong faith until you have the object of your faith. And the object of David's faith and the object of your faith and my faith is God alone. And God alone, when you understand his attributes, you will understand that he is our salvation. David is writing at a time in his life, before he was a king, he was a general. This is not a man who's leading from behind. He was the first one into the battle. He was the first one to put his life on the line. When David says, God's my rock and my salvation, he had the battle scars to prove it in his life. He was a man experienced at war, experienced at seeing death, experienced about being overwhelmed by greater and more massive armies than Israel could ever put forth. But yet they win when they honor God. David has the right to say he's my rock and my salvation and my fortress. He's been down this road before. God has never ever disappointed David. Can you say that in your life? Do you have a blueprint in your life when you're going through a challenging time? Is the challenging time just taking over? Or can you recall in your own life, no, God was faithful when I was 12. God was faithful that time when I was 16. When I was doing it, God was faithful. God was faithful. I can tell you things about my life. God was so faithful when I was still a sinner. How faithful was God to you to pull you out of many fires before you even ever came to Christ? Why do we forget about all those things when we go through a time of crisis? Why does that go right out the window? We have to remind ourselves, this is not helpful, well, how should I say, this is not helpful hints from the pastor. This is theology proper. God has pulled through for you and I so many times. Why do we doubt him now? David is saying, he's my rock, and my salvation, my fortress. I'm not going to be greatly shaken. He's always pulled through for me. He, he's, he's my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Scripture and personal experience teaches us that God is truly a rock that we can plant our life and our futures on, no matter what's going on in our life, and he'll pull through. How many people in this room need to hear that? How much do you really know that God can and will pull through, no matter how challenging it gets? Listen to three, verse three. How long will all you attack a man, he's talking about himself, to batter him? Listen to how David looks at himself. 
the king of Israel, he's like a leaning wall. He's about to fall down, so let's pile on. He's like a tottering fence that just needs a wind. Let's get the king. He's weak. Let's, let's get him. He's going through a tough time. Now's our time to pounce on the king. This is a rhetorical question, and it really means this. David's saying, are you serious? I'm the king of Israel. Do you think that God's going to let me go now? He's been good to me since I was a shepherd in the field. And you think now, when I'm on the run, you think now that the king is low, that God's going to forget about me? Are you crazy, old man, that you're going to attack me? If God be for me, who can be against me? What David is saying is, David has the big picture. Israel, the nation, existed because of the grace of God. David was the king there because of the grace of God. David had a plan for his people. I mean, God had a plan for his people. And nothing was going to get in the way of it. David doesn't have to compromise. This is God's work. Why in the world ministers compromise? Or you and I would compromise. It's all God's work. This is not about you figuring out your life. Do you understand something? Your life is not your own. You belong in the pages of the scripture. You are part of God's plan of redemption. This is your time and this is my time in uh, the 21st century. David had his 3,000 years ago. Me and you have our time now. We're part of the plan of redemption. We are part of the kingdom of God. And anything that comes against God's plan has to go through God. When you're going through tough times, do you pray such like this? God, I am your child. I am anointed by your spirit. I am sealed with the Holy Spirit. I am called by your holy name. And if you did not spare Christ, you will not now spare any good thing that I need in my life. I am your child and I need you desperately. I pray that's part of your life. Bring your citizenship and your adoption before God in prayer. That's what David's saying. He goes to verse 4. Talking about the very bad people. They only plan to thrust him down from his eye position. That's his kingship. He goes on to say they take pleasure in falsehood. I love this part. They bless with their mouths, but inwardly, they curse. And I want to make mention of that word, sila. Do you know what that means? It means to reflect and consider the things that were just said. Don't read this and just go on to the next verse. Don't read this and go on to the comic books. Read this, take a step back and say, what's going on here? And what he is doing is that he's considering the motive behind the whole thing was to tear down the kingdom. That is satanic. There are times in David's life, there are times in your life, times in my life, there are times in the life of Christ where Satan tries to really ruin us because you and I pose a threat. Make no mistake about it. Are you a Christian? Are you filled with the Holy Spirit? Do you know the plan of redemption? Please understand this. You now have a mark on your back. Welcome to the kingdom of God. 
There are times when things happen, you have to take a step back and say, I think Satan's stirring up some mischief around here. This is not just the flesh. They're really after the king over here. And I love this. This is, I love this verse. Listen to verse 4, the last, the last two sentences. He says this. They bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. Reflect. Seal, I reflect. Oh, King David, how we love you. Oh, King David, how mighty you are. Oh, King David, we're for you. Oh, King David, we really hate your guts, and we really don't care what happens to you. They're praising the king with one moment, and the next moment when they get behind closed door with other people, it's hypocrisy. And we know who the father of lies is. When you've got jealousy and hypocrisy walking hand in hand, let me tell you something. Satan can use that like a dagger. Loves jealousy. Loves the hypocrite that praises God with one hand and assaults his brother with the next. Doesn't James said that? The mouth, with our mouth, we, 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 we praise God. And with our mouth, we curse man created in God's image. David wasn't taken in. He was no fool. He saw right through their cunning things. He saw through their schemes. He saw the agenda. Understand something. This is what's causing conflict in David's life. Have you ever run up against jealousy? It's one of the great enemies of our soul. He goes on to this. Five, six, and seven. Let me just reflect one more time on Selah. When it says to reflect. And I share this. As a Christian, as you mature as a Christian. And people attack us. It could be for your Christian faith or for anything else. We stop taking things personal and start saying, oh, well, you know, they do this and he does that. And we're using first, na- first names. No, no. When you mature, you're basically saying this. Doesn't human nature stink? I mean, look at human nature. They're, they're worshiping me and they're saying, I love you, but really they hate me. Don't take it personal. If you find people being uh, a forked tongue, when you saw people being hypocrites to you, don't take it personal. Take a step back and go, look at human nature. My goodness, look what happened to mankind that we would come down to lying, cheating. Look at it from the biblical worldview. Don't take an attack personal. Take a step back. Remove yourself. Don't get caught up emotionally. Don't get caught up in, in psychological warfare. Take a step back and say, wow. Look how rotten human nature is. He goes on to say this in in 5 to 7. Now it's going to look like he repeats verse 1 again, but I want you to listen. You ready? For God alone, verse 1. Oh, my soul. He's not saying my soul waits. He's speaking to himself. He's encouraging himself. He made a statement in verse 1. Now he's practicing it in verse 5. For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence, soul. Don't get in your way, soul. Don't mess it up, soul. Wait in silence. Continue to wait. Days are going by, weeks are going by, months are going by. There's no change. It looks like it's getting worse. And you got to encourage yourself the way David's doing here in verse 5. And now he says, 
Oh, my soul, continue to wait on God. For my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. On God rest my salvation and my glory. My mighty rock, my refuge is God. For the first time, David says these words in a statement, as in verse 1. But now he's putting it into practice. You ever hear the expression, easier said than? So in verse 1, it's easy to say, God alone. Everybody say, God alone. It's pretty easy. Is it biblically correct? Is it easy? No. Verse 5 is teaching us that David's putting into practice the truth that he said. These verses are what David does while he is silently waiting on God. Is anybody waiting on God for something? Honestly, come on, let's be real. How are you doing it? Are you constantly encouraging yourself to wait on God? Because he alone is my fortress. Because don't, after a while, aren't you just tired of waiting? Come on. Aren't you just tired of waiting for tall, dark, and handsome to come into your life? Aren't you just waiting for the perfect girl to walk into your life? Aren't you just waiting for the perfect job? You're waiting for the children to obey you? What are you waiting for? And you're tired of waiting. The only answer is to go back to verse 1. God alone. Don't leave it. Go back to go. God alone. My soul waits in silence. I'm not going to get in the way. I'm not going to try to figure this out. I did it yesterday. I got to pray again today. I have to pray again tomorrow. Understand something. That's what it means to wait in hopeful expectation. We are constantly encouraging ourselves in the goodness of God. Because that's what changes you. If you said, God help me, and it was gone right away, you'd have no idea who God was. He'd be like a genie. I told him, just a genie. Wave the magic flag. Lay hands on him and he gets healed or something. Real quick, you know, real quick, God. It was God, I got no time for this. I can hurry up. But it's in the waiting process you really understand who God is and who we are as human beings. Who wants a strong faith? Be careful. I see a couple of fingers. You want strong faith, get used to waiting on God. Because it's not easy. And you stand in a long line of other people over the centuries who have waited on God. I love this verse, verse 8. Listen to this. Would you put that up there? David's going to turn his attention now to the people in his care. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. You know how hard it is sometimes when someone's coming to the minister and saying, A, B, C, and D, they're looking for the, the, the answer. You know the only answer you have sometimes? Trust in him at all times. Pour out your heart before the Lord. You're a child of God. 
Pour out your heart, but I've been doing it. Continue to do it. Continue to remind your soul to wait patiently on God. And do not give up being faithful to God. God sees your heart. He sees you are waiting. He has not forgot about you. Trust in him at all times, oh people. And pour out your heart before God. Let God know how weak you are. Let God know how disappointed you are. Let let God know every ill feeling you have. Wait on God, people. Don't take matters into your own hands. He's a refuge. Every minister of the gospel needs to know this lesson first. And I don't have to tell all the stories that me and my wife have gone through and John and Kim have gone through and Patty have gone through and others have gone through to learn these lessons of waiting on God. But I'll tell you something. Every mother and father needs to know this. You a mom and dad here today? You need to know this lesson. You need to know how to pour out your heart before God for your children. You need to know how to go to distance in prayer. You need to find out how important the prayer closet is. You need to know what David says. Pour out your heart before God. Don't tell another human being. Don't tell anybody first. Bring your pain. Bring the emotional pain you have to God first. And there pour out your heart. Because only he is your refuge. If you're going to your neighbor. You're going to your friend. You're going to social media. You are making that platform your refuge for your living hope and you're going to fail miserably and it's a lesson in frustration there are times when I'm counseling and I'm realizing that the person I'm counseling lacks a prayer life it's very hard when you're counseling someone that lacks prayer life it goes in one ear and out the other But when someone knows how to pour out their heart to God, when someone really knows how to pray and get God's attention because you're pouring out your heart, that means a total dependence on God because you know you can't do it alone anymore. Moms need it, dad need it, CEOs need it, bosses need it, cop leaders, leaders need it. Everyone needs to know verse 8. Every believer needs to know anybody in leadership. If anybody has a family, if anybody has a flock, anybody cares for other human beings, we all have to learn the lesson of verse 8 of pouring out our heart before God because that is the answer. I went through a challenging time in my life in ministry once, and I went to someone we respect very much, and he said, Brian, just pray. It was a light bulb went off. I've used that in counseling all the time. Pray. I've been praying. Then continue to pray. When do I stop praying? When Christ comes home. Do you know how to pour out your heart before God? Do you really know how to? You know why a lot of Christians have a hard time with that? It's intimacy. Some people just don't know how to be themselves before God. But let me tell you something. It's one of the sweetest places you'll ever be. To be so vulnerable before God. 
with tears in your eyes to reveal how weak you are in your life without God. How much you depend on him. That if he's not in the equation, it's only disaster, period. And to learn to pour out your soul in silence as you're waiting on God in prolonged periods of time when the crisis doesn't seem to go away and people are going from bad to worse and they want to bring you down. It looks like you're in the 15th round. It looks like you're out of oxygen. They're going to come for the knockdown, but they don't realize that God sustains his people in the last round. Listen to verses 10, 9 and 10. I'm going to pass 9 and 10. Let's go to 10 and 11 and 12. Once God has spoken, twice I have heard it, that power belongs to God. Then we ask ourselves, why this little riddle? Why in the middle of the psalm we get this riddle? Listen to it. Once God has spoken, twice I have heard it, that the power belongs to God. You know what this riddle highlights? It highlights the word of God. Once, I have, once God has spoken, it's a way of saying that God has communicated to us in his word who he is. And he hasn't just done it once. He's done it twice. He's done it so many times that you cannot read the word of God and come out thinking anything else than that all power belongs to God. Jesus said in a different way, with God, all things are, that's it. It's the same thing. And when you and I read the word of God and we digest the word of God and we know all the redeeming stories of the word of God, we come out with a faith that trusts that all power belongs to God. That's where strong faith is. You cannot read, and all David had was the first five books. We got the whole resurrection and the whole story of the Christ. We have chapter 8 of Romans that says that we are more than conquerors. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Listen to verse 12. And we'll close. Listen to the calm that David has and that you O Lord belong steadfast love for you will render to man according to his work I hope you understand what that means this is what David's saying father ultimately every human being has to stand before you one day every wrong will be made right In the crisis I'm going through, I might never see justice here. But I can rest assured there'll be justice. God, I'm not going to put you on the spot. God, I'm not going to say you have to have it now. I have to see justice now. There are people saying bad things about me. I need vindication now. David doesn't say that. He doesn't have to. Because he knows one day every wrong will be made right. And when you have that biblical worldview, you will see everything else is a lot small. All the interpersonal conflicts you have, when you realize that, you know, God, there's no answer here. I have to wait to heaven. 
You'll take care of every wrong ever done. I hope that brings you comfort the way it brings David comfort. I hope it brings you comfort the way it brings me comfort. You know why it brings me comfort? I do not have to try to retaliate. I don't have to try to have vengeance. I am totally free from character assassinations. I don't have to attack anybody. I can just let things drip right off my back because get what? One day you'll stand before God and you'll find out the truth. In the interim, I'm going to pour out my heart before God in silent waiting, trusting in God at all times, keeping my eyes on the big picture that nothing is done in this world without God's acknowledgement. I hope and pray you find strength and boldness in this today. I pray that it brings confidence in your prayer life, that God does see, and that through the crises of life, you and I can have ultimate hope because we know the big picture. Let's pray. Father, like always, we come before you, Lord God. And we heard words today. We heard David's life today, Father God. We heard teaching and preaching today, God. But ultimately, God, we need you in all areas of our life. Help us to trust in you more, God. Help us to silence our own thoughts. Help us to stop trying to figure out the means to the end. How it's going to work out. When is it going to work out? Why is it like this? Why is this happening? Why, why, where, where, how, how, when, when? Why, why, where, where, where? God, forgive us of trying to fix everything. Teach us to sit back and to trust in you and to wait upon you so our soul can find rest in you, God. As David found rest in you, he had all the power at his disposal to take care of the problem, but he chose not to, God. He chose to do it the righteous way. And so he waited. And little did he know that the real king would come one day and they were crucifying by the lies of two men. Two false witnesses bring Christ to an end. And they reviled him, but he reviled not back. And they threatened him, but he threatened not back because he kept entrusting himself to God who judges righteously. Father, help us. Let us be more like Christ. Let us be more like David. Help us in the areas of our life. When we see Christ is coming, God, teach us to pour out our heart before you. Teach us to silence our thoughts on the inside, Father God. Help us, God. Encourage us, oh God. Strengthen us, Father God. We want to have a joyful expectation on every circumstance that life throws at us. In Jesus' name.